Welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast. Our podcast aims to connect you to what's going on at Ross Road Community Church, to connect you to the people at Ross Road, and ultimately, to connect you to God himself. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast, episode number 33. Mm-hmm. Episode number Henrik Sedin is what you were thinking, Holly, I'm sure. that That's crazy. That is what I was thinking. How did that, you know? <laughs> that's how I remember numbers is by attaching oh, the number goodness. to a hockey player. And then I'll remember like when I had back in the day when you had to remember phone numbers because you don't oh, yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I'd remember phone numbers is, uh, is, is hockey, hockey players. Player yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But now I need to know, do you know Jenny's phone number off by heart? I do. Yes. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Do you know Corey's number off by heart? I sure do. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you don't really need to know numbers anymore. No. Yeah. We're living in a very different time. Yeah. So um, you uh, were about to tell us about how you wiped out on Saturday. I was. Yeah. And you know what? It was like one of our last, this is snowboarding and it was one of our last runs of the evening and I was feeling really good. And I've been trying to do this jump for a long time and I have successfully done it like maybe once or twice, but I keep, you know, wanting Corey to record it because I just, I keeps missing it every time that I actually do it successfully, which is just how the world works. But um, yeah, I tried to do this one jump and then I think I like, cause there's two. So there's kind of like one and then immediately after there's a bigger one. So I was doing the first one and I think I didn't get enough air and I kind of caught the second jump. And then that caused me to just like completely tumble over. But regardless, I hit my head really hard and I have oh. a giant bruise on my side now um and I definitely was like dizzy for a few minutes after and uh yeah I was wearing a helmet thankfully I would never snowboard without one but um yeah my head is actually still kind of hurting from that so that's uh (laughs) you know you're supposed to get that checked out well, you know what? I did my due diligence and I sent my sister a message because my sister's oh, yeah. a nurse. And yeah, I was yeah. like, not to concern you, but how do I know if I have a mild uh, concussion? Yeah. And she said, because I didn't lose consciousness that I probably don't. So I didn't lose consciousness. I was definitely dizzy, but I completed the run after. So Thanks. I guess that means I was okay. <laughs> well, you got to get down somehow. So it's true. You do have to get down somehow. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, so in conclusion, I did not land the jump. So (laughs) did he get it on video? No, that would have been something. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then even that night, as we were getting ready to go to like, I, cause we just kind of snowboard down to our cars, but by the time you get to the bottom, it's like very, very icy because kind of everybody's like snowboarding there. And I fell just like directly onto my knees, like all my weight onto my knees. And it was so unbelievably icy. Uh, and I, oh my goodness. Yeah. My knees are bruised. So it, it was a very uh, painful last couple of runs there. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, spring is almost here and then you won't have to get hurt anymore. Oh, but I'm so torn between wanting it to be like spring and like summer, but also I'm just trying to cling on to the last bit of snowboarding. Yeah. So yeah, I think I got at least it. like two more. Yeah. I've gone a lot this season. Did you count so. how many times you went? No, but I could probably figure it out, but it's definitely, it's over. Like it's double digits for sure. Yeah. 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 I'll try oh, to count. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. Well, in the podcast today, we've got a a special guest, uh, Ray Harris. 
is the chaplain at Tabor Village. And uh, Tabor Village, we'll talk more about what Tabor Village is, but obviously it's been a difficult year for them with COVID and uh, a lot of death uh, uh, because of COVID. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about death uh, in and of itself. And, uh, you know, both of us have been around loved ones who have died and uh, been through the grieving process. And so, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, even though it's not a topic we talk about a lot. And, but it's an important one to talk about. So we'll talk about death. We'll talk about aging. And uh, Ray is, uh, um, how did you describe it? How did you describe his, his, um, his manner? I said that he just has one of the most like calming presences. Yeah. It's hard to say. But yeah, that's one a big presence that I, you know, that you don't get that with everybody. It's just, he's very calming to listen to, very soothing. Yeah. And that was your first time meeting him was this interview. So uh, that was yeah. first impression. And I think that holds true with my experience with Ray as well. Yeah. And so we're excited about this conversation. I want to say thank you to Caleb Rosborough, our, uh, our editor, and um, uh, does a great job with that. And so without further ado, let's hear from Ray Harris. Uh, Ray Harris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And uh, I want to start just by uh, asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your life and ministry and what you do at Tabor Village. Sure. Well, my life has been fun and lots of different variety of things that I've done over the years. So we, My wife and I have been married for uh, 43 years and we have three grown children and, uh, and seven grandchildren. So we're, we have a full life. Sad we haven't been able to see them as much, but mm-hmm. uh, in this last year, of course. But uh, I've been involved in music for a lot of my life uh, as, a, as a performer, as a singer, as a choral conductor, uh, and then also teaching has been a big part of my life. Uh, and then pastoral care, I've been working uh, for many years in that area of church leadership as well. And then in the last uh, four years, almost four years, I've been at Tabor Tabor Village, so serving as their chaplain, or uh, my formal title is spiritual care coordinator. Mm. So uh, that, uh, but but uh, interesting. I, I haven't asked for it, but a lot of them just call me Pastor Ray. So mm. I guess that's uh, how I come across to them. So, yeah, that's been a really blessed time to work uh, at Tabor. Yeah, mm. that's great. Uh, but before we get into kind of what the last year's been like at Tabor, and there's lots to talk about there, I'm sure. Um, describe Tabor for people who who aren't aware. I mean, Ross Road's got a long relationship with Tabor Village, uh, including, uh, you know, Vic Martins and Jake Conrad are involved on the board, but uh, there'll be people who can't visualize what happens at Tabor Village. So describe what, how how it's, how it's set up, how it's arranged. Sure. Well, we just, maybe I'll say that we really do appreciate that Ross Road and the, and the, the connecting points, uh, many connecting points. You've mentioned a couple. Uh, every month, the, the choir will yeah. come and serve, and I'm going to use that word, will come, yeah. uh, as we've had to shut that down for a year. But uh, we have really been blessed, and especially at Tabor Court, which is our assisted living. So I'll start there. That's probably our, it is our newest building on the campus and about 12 years old. And we have about uh, 85 residents that are there in assisted living and it's also called called assisted living plus so they do get some nursing care etc and help if they need to uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's assisted living we have the independent living which is called Tabor Manor and those are essentially apartments and so the tenants that live there uh, 
a lot of them are still able to some several drive still and are able to attend their churches and other things that when when everything's uh, open. Uh, and then we have the home long term care home. Uh, it's actually designated palliative care, which is what uh, all long term care homes are resident in, in BC now. And uh, that's where the, the people who come in with very frail and very, very close to the end of their life. Mm. Uh, it's not a hospice, but it, in a way, it's almost becoming in these days, in the last couple of years, especially uh, almost a, a, like a, a longer term hospice center. Uh, and uh, I serve or at least have served in all of those three. Plus, we also run and uh, operate Valhaven, which is a lovely small care home, 28 beds out in a kind of nice rural residential setting just uh, west of Mount Lehman. I get a kick out of the fact that uh, our main campus is on Sunrise Crescent and Valhaven is on Sunset. So it <laughs> oh, depends, depends on where you live. You, you've got Sunrise, Sunset, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, that's a little bit about, uh, about our village. Hmm. Wow. So I need to know the answer to this question before we ask you what the past year has been. Uh, this is me journeying back a little bit, but you said you are a musician. And so because I too uh, play music, I would love to know what instruments you play and what you like the best. Okay, well, I would say mainly I'm a vocalist. I, I started as a singer songwriter back in the 1970s. Uh, I was part of the crop that sort of brought contemporary music into the church and had that. Mm, <laughs> I have the scars to show it still. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, just kidding. It, it was a lot of folk kind of Christian, uh, Christian folk music. Cool. And, and, and so, uh, so guitar, piano, organ. Uh, I learned at the uh, university where I did, I actually have a doctorate in music, but in my bachelor's degree, I did uh, pipe organ. Wow. So I learned to play keyboards and pipe. And uh, I've, I played, I, I taught high school music. So you had to be able to at least um, make a noise on every instrument, you know, and, yeah. uh, but choral and vocal has been really kind of my thing. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I just, I was dying to know. So anyway, yeah. Describe to us a little bit about what the past year has looked like at Tabor. Yeah. And it's interesting, of course, it is just about a year ago, uh, beginning of March that um, everything hit, And uh, we were very th thankful and very blessed that we actually never had any cases of COVID all through those opening months until November. November was time when uh, when we had our first active cases, and uh, um, so uh, the month started. Or sorry, the year I guess beginning of March started with with pretty strict shutdowns. Everything everything shut down. Uh, I was still working uh, on site at the home, but as I mentioned earlier, I had the one site designation, uh, so I was really only working at the home, the long term care home. Uh, thinking that that would probably be the greatest need uh, for for my kinds of my spiritual care service, although the court, the people at the court in assisted living, uh, have really uh, over the year uh, really missed the, the the presence of the spiritual care. I've 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 tried to create different ways of um, supporting them through videos. I do a weekly uh, greeting from Tabor uh, that uh, it's on the Clearbrook Church. Uh, TV station, so they get that. Um, but over the year, uh, really restricted. The staff was uh, very, very uh, meticulous and taking care of things. The Fraser Health, uh, we have to follow all of their protocols, which are actually more stringent than the open BC community. So uh, whatever kind of limitations are in the general population, 
ours were much more intense and still continue to be. So, um, so the year unfolded, as I said, really in the beginning, aside from the fact that really we could not have choirs and volunteers, we couldn't have our schools that come in and support, really the community became very much more closed down from March until November. The summer was actually a little reprieve because the weather warmed up and just as with the general population, the numbers uh, declined in terms of the, the active cases so we could be a little more open. Uh, window visits and things like that were allowed. Uh, but November was really when it hit Tabor home. And so we had 29 people. Um, to, sorry, I want to get the numbers right. 24 people who died from COVID. Mm -hmm. And we had another nine people at that same time period. I'm talking sort of early note, first of November through till about the third week of December. Uh, nine other people passed away, not COVID related. So that was a huge hit for our community, for our staff, for families. It was just a really dark and uh, a difficult time. And so uh, that was until early New Year. And um, I'd like to say things have opened up considerably. They have opened up somewhat in January, February, uh, and now in March. But uh, it's still very much, it's a very different place. I, I talked to one staff member just yesterday, and they said when they came, they had been away for a while, and they came back in January, and they said it was so surreal. Like, it just seems like empty because mm -hmm. we can't let residents out into the uh, lounges in the public areas. So they just said it was so different and so sad. And uh, so life has been quite different. And for the residents, they've mostly been in their their rooms. And uh, so, yeah, that gives a bit of a overview of what the last year has been like for us at Tabor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, two parts to this this question. First, I want to know what, what was all that like for you personally? And then how, how did the, the folks at Tabor, the staff, the, the residents, the tenants, uh, board members, how did they respond in the midst of all of the grief and tragedy that that went on? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for me personally, um, uh, the first few months, it was difficult to make that decision as to the one site designation. Uh, maybe if people are forget what that was about or why there was a real problem within the healthcare generally, people would work in multiple sites, uh, talking mostly about the, the nursing and care staff. And then there was always a chance or increased likelihood of some some contamination from other uh, institutions. So in, in March, all healthcare workers, we had quite a, you have to sign quite a serious document that you're declaring you will be one site only. Mm. Um, so that that was, I would have to say for me personally, kind of sad because I thought, well, that's really going to change how I can minister to and serve uh, probably two thirds of our community. And so that was hard. Um, I would say with our staff, generally, the, the level of professionalism and the level of personal commitment to Tabor has just been exceptional. I mean, it's been really, really hard, but uh, people, the stress that's come through this time, it, it works itself out in two ways, probably at least two ways, uh, as with our regular, our lives too. Um, one is you find resources you didn't know you had and you find you dig deeper and you're able to do more than you thought you could. And that's one response, but the other is just severe fatigue and mm. burnout and uh, increased illness. Many of our staff did get, they did test positive and have bouts of COVID, some more serious than others. Um, 
but uh, so there is uh, there is that the other side of that reality too. So yeah. I would say I saw the best, and we saw some of the hardest uh, of our staff and our families really struggled. Our families, we had to initiate a couple of uh, significant. Uh, measures to help with families because they couldn't be in touch with their loved ones. They mm. couldn't get in visits. Uh, window visits were even restricted. Uh, people were dying. And of course, you know, it all was on the media and the news and these terrible stories that were happening. So family support was was really crucial through that time as well. So we got a team mm. of people to phone regularly to families and um, keep them informed as much as we could. And uh, so, yeah, it was a very... Um, the word unprecedented got so tired <laughs> everybody's been using it because mm -hmm. but it really was it just how do you and every every couple of days it seemed as if the the rules changed and that was because you know the health authorities were learning they were trying to roll out what they felt was the best uh, for the time and the information they had so as staff it was like you you just get used to one thing and literally maybe a week or two later, things were changing again. Mm, yeah. Were there moments of hope along the way that sustained you and, and others? Well, absolutely. And Tabor, I think your your listeners and others who are listening might be aware or hopefully are. It's, it's a, it is a faith-based, it's a Christian uh, organization, has a Christian heritage of over 60 years. Uh, and a Christian, you know, the board is selected from our supporting churches so really our faith and our, our reliance on Jesus has been huge and it's been really a big part of, of what has kept us going mm. and a sense of hope uh, even in, in the darkness and even in the despair. Um, I think the other factor is that the, um, the support for one another as staff has been really very good and very, very uh, much appreciated. So there's been those elements of hope um, I would say that uh, um, I guess it was um, in the fall, early in the fall that I was asked to sort of submit regular weekly messages of hope, you know, so it's got me personally thinking more and more about that theme of hope, you know, how mm. do we draw our hope, where do we draw our hope from, and, and there's a multitude of ways that God brings hope into our lives, even in dark times, so yeah, there were, there certainly were, and we in December, normally at Tabor, we do what we call a, a celebration of life or memorial for people who have passed away and usually we do it with about six or seven people re recognizing and honoring their lives but of course when we had 24 people um, 35 people all together we couldn't do it in the same way so we uh, we created a memory tree and we put on white doves at the, and, and placed it at the front door with lights and some of our staff just did a beautiful job with it and uh, we created a little video and uh, and the staff was involved in that. So it was a way of saying farewell, a way of dealing with some of their grief, but also um, it was a message of hope, you know, the theme of evergreen, the theme of Christmas time, the theme of uh, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that kind of hope message uh, filtered through. So actually, it was, we were pretty cool. We got um, Global TV picked it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so oh. they came out and did an interview with me and... Um, they just said, you know, like, this is amazing because a lot of care homes don't even want to say what's going on. And mm. Tabor has been quite transparent and tried to be quite open as much as we could with respecting, you know, uh, confidence and, and things. But um, 
So that was hopeful. That was a hopeful window. It was at, at the darkest point, probably, but it was it was like a turning, like seeing the light starting to come. And that was probably mid-December, end of mm. December. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was beautifully done. I, I think it's on the website still. Is, is that correct? It right? is. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. want to go check that out. It, it's very well done. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that, Ray. I um I also wanted to just say to any of our listeners, um, if you knew any of these people that passed away, to our condolences are mm-hmm. with all of you. Um, yeah. yeah, I would love to know. I love this message of hope that you're um, talking about in talking about death. It can be kind of a hard thing to talk about. So you already kind of started to answer this question too. But is there anything else um, that you learned about uh, dying and death in the past year? Yeah, always learning, always new things, right? And life is always giving us these opportunities. So uh, I, I have read it before, and I reread it through this period of time. It's a book called Living Well, Dying Faithfully. Mm-hmm. It's edited by John Swinton. It's a collection of essays. And I just, even the title always gives me hope. You know, Living Well, Dying Faithfully. And many, many of these po- folks who did pass away. And thank you, Holly, for uh, expressing condolences. Sometimes that's the challenge of working. Sometimes you, you know, especially when you're kind of talking uh, organizationally, you forget the individuals and the families. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that idea of, yeah, I guess I would say maybe some things weren't new to me, but you just see it uh, fleshed out in different ways with people about how to approach death, uh, different people, people of faith, uh, people, uh, some who don't have a faith that, uh, and seeing the different range of responses uh, to, to death and to dying. And uh, so I would say, you know, one of the things that probably in I think in my pastoral ministry, I've experienced it too, but there's just such a sacred uh, nature to to a person dying, to, to being able to have that privilege of walking alongside a person in their last days, last hours. Uh, the Celtic uh, people have faith, kind of have a, a, an expression they call, it's, it's the thin space. It's the space mm. where, you know, between our kind of daily visible world and the other world that we're entering, uh, there's a thin space. And uh, mm. so it's it's a very, um, it's an honored place to be as you walk alongside of people and dying. Um, interesting, people always seem surprised though, when their loved ones fail and t- start to die. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, they're in a place where they're palliative care, we're giving them comfort for their, for their, part of the journey. Uh, and uh, so I think that's part of our general culture too, uh, is that sense of it, partly denial, partly just that there's a natural aversion to things of relating to death and dying. But it, that sort of surprises me too, that that people are so surprised, right? And mm-hmm. uh, well, well, they're not getting better, you know, and uh, well, no, they're not getting better. And so it's a journey. But um, those are a couple of things that I would say I kind of I would say I relearned or I learned about death in the past year, especially. And, uh, and I, I think too, in my role as chaplain is walking alongside with families and, and that would be, I just was sharing this with a staff member today. I would say probably my, one of my saddest thoughts is just that I, I wasn't able to be on site uh, because of all the restrictions to be there as much as I would have, as I should have been, as I wanted to be as a pastor, as a chaplain, uh, for them, so so I learned that uh, that aspect of the importance of presence again mm. is so is so key. Mm. Yeah, 
What about um, uh, the process of grief? Um, is there any new insights you've gleaned about that over the last year? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about those who have, are left behind once a loved one dies. And especially in this year when loved ones weren't able to be at the bedside and, you know, got the phone call and really wish that could, they could have been there. That, that's a different, a different kind of grief because there's not that moment there uh, that, that they would have liked to have you know, a, final, a final word or a, a final couple of hours or whatever it might have been. Um, have you seen, seen anything different about grief through this journey? Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of grief, of course, mm. and uh, grief for the families, first of all, of course, and grief for um, of the of the staff too, because of the 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 just the sheer numbers of people that they've come to know and love and work with, and now they're they're dying or have died. So, I guess you know one of the things is just the intensity of it. It made me think of other epidemics or pandemics or war people that are living right now with you know like. Uh, emergency situations where people are dying and um, so it made me realize yeah that grief we almost have a leisurely approach to grief in our mm. society uh, that maybe sounds like the wrong word but you know we we do have time under normal circumstances like you just said Craig to to spend time with our loved one to kind of journey with them to visit them uh, we didn't have that this time it was very sudden sometimes people would just get a phone call uh, or the, the now just I should clarify that family members were allowed. We we have a phase for a person when they reach the, the physician can determine when they're kind of what we call actively dying. Mm -hmm. So family members are contacted and they were allowed to come in one at a time. Mm -hmm. But that is very different than what you described. Oftentimes, especially Christian families, but other traditions as well, they would like to have the whole family there and mm -hmm. in the room and they could do that to spend time singing or praying together, reading scripture, uh, just encouraging their loved one. So that, mm -hmm. that was very different. So, so one of the aspects of grief, if you kind of think of all the different emotional aspects of it, the one is, is anger and, and disbelief. And so that was really, I saw a lot of that um, mm -hmm. or heard, heard a lot and, and it, experienced it because people were angry. They couldn't be with their loved one. They, what's happening. You know, um, so that that aspect um but then i also saw a lot of people handling it just in a very very beautiful way like some people were just so affirming of tabor and the care they knew the care that their loved one was receiving and um that was sort of over and above and over mm. and beyond so so i um i saw both i saw some of the real uh more intense negative side of grief and then some positive ways that people were processing things and um yeah so i guess maybe that's that was a couple of things that i would say in terms of of grief that uh, i've observed we um we haven't been able to provide and this is something we've talked a little bit about how do we do it uh, virtually in other ways because we would have different ways of one of them was that memorial service we would invite family members to come and we could interact with them it would usually be about three weeks after the person had passed so they've had a chance to kind of process the early stages of grief um, and that was an appreciated time for for the families who took advantage of it to come and uh, walk along that grief uh, journey with us a little bit mm -hmm. and, and us with them so yeah. it's been a different way of of having to think of creative ways and, and we've thought of different things uh, to, to reach out to families as they continue to grieve. Mm. 
And I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the grief of those working with these folks who are dying, uh, who were, were dying. Um, and uh, it, it seems like a good time to, again, express our appreciation for all of those who put themselves right in the line of fire there. And, and some of them, you know, got COVID themselves and, and uh, had to work through that in their own lives. And that was a, a sacrificial kind of love and care. And uh, we, we appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You, you, uh, your role gives you, uh, I think you've used the word sacred uh, already in this conversation. Uh, it's a, a sacred thing to walk along some, al alongside someone in that journey towards death. Uh, what does it mean to die with dignity, Ray? When, uh, uh, I guess when I think of that question, I sort of want to take it apart and say, what does it mean for, for the person themselves? And then what does it mean for those around the support and the care, care people around the, and the loved ones? Mm -hmm. um, I think for the person themselves to die with dignity uh, is to have a sense that they are valued, that they're loved, that they're affirmed, that the fact that they're dying uh, hasn't changed who they are as people. They're on a different part of their journey for sure, but it's uh, it's still them. And still uh, they might be very different in terms of maybe especially if they've had dementia or some other areas of challenge. But um, I think that that value, that sense of having a value for, for a lot of people, um, especially at my, in my experience at Tabor, they're people of deep faith. And so it's a time when, when them, for them to die with dignity is to have their faith affirmed. And that can be done with singing songs and, and having music in the background for them to just be reflecting on uh, and prayers, etc. So for the person, I think there's that, uh, there's a sense of um, some almost have a sense of, um, I, this is almost sounds strange to say this, but a sense of adventure. Like this is a new phase of life, right? And so there's a, with any adventure, there's fear, there's the unknown, there's the excitement. So some of them are saying, I'm so ready to meet Jesus. I just, I want to go. And um, and so those are from conversations, obviously, prior to the very end. But uh, but sometimes people can become quite lucid as they're passing. And uh, they'll express that again. They're just so ready to go home and see their family or see their see, see the Lord, right? So um, So that would be dying with dignity for the person. Um, and then I think for the for the care team around them, it's slowing down to be with a person, spending time with them. And that's so hard in the healthcare setting because, you know, our staff is so busy and they have to be so many places and helping so many residents. But I've seen it done beautifully, just staff member, a nurse or carry, just going in, holding a hand, just spending some time, slowing down. Uh, spending time with that person, showing them their their value, their value, um, and listening if they're able to talk at all anymore, or just listening to staff, to family members rather, and other staff, listening to one another. Uh, we we try to do uh, what we call healing huddles after a person has passed, mm -hmm. so we can just listen to each other and talk to each other about how 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 we're doing and how we felt uh, that experience went. And then I, I've used the word before, and, and, you know, it's maybe overused when you think about uh, pa pastoral care generally, but especially in end-of-life care is the presence of the person, the presence of the family member. Sometimes people say, well, it doesn't make any difference because mom didn't even acknowledge me. But people, we know that they know you're in the room. They know your presence is there. It's felt. It's experienced. 
-hmm. sense of hearing is very sensitive for most people right up to the end. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so what you say in a room when a person's passing is very important because they're, mm -hmm. they're in the room. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, those are some things about dying with dignity that I would, I would uh, say are very important. Mm. Wow. I really, I really like what you said there about like, they can really, they can really like they're in the room. I think that's, that's really powerful. And I love the, I love the healing huddle as well. I think that's such a beautiful way to be there for each other after something like that. Um, so yeah, now kind of transitioning to a bit of a bigger, um, question here, but what concerns you around the current legislation uh, or legislation around medical assistance in dying and the potential for this practice to expand? Right. Yeah, that is a big question. So uh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I chair the ethics committee at our in our care home. And uh, of course, it's been over. It's been virtual on Zoom the last uh, year. We haven't had as much because this everybody's on the ground running. So but this is certainly something we need to discuss again, especially in light of recent days, uh, mm -hmm. what's happening now with legislation. Uh, up until this, these recent changes or potential changes, they're not yet set, uh, but um, a place like Tabor, for two reasons, we've not had to, we will not have to uh, deal directly with medical assistance in dying. For two reasons, we do have a conscientious objection status, and that it has been, has been and is respected. So if a, if a patient, if a resident really, um, they would, they come into the home realizing that's our stand. So family members and the individuals understand if, if they're able to cognitively understand that. That, uh, But if the request was to come, we would have to facilitate that off-site. So we'd have to make sure that that uh, could be legally offered to and um, ethically to them for, for that procedure. But because of that uh, conscientious objection, but even more so, uh, there has been, and this is now being deliberated being removed there's always been the uh, caveat and the and this the standard that they the person themselves up to 24 hours before the procedure has to have the cognitive capacity to be able to say yes i still want to proceed with this assisted assisted dying um i almost said suicide sorry but um you know that has not been the reality for probably 95 percent of our residents they couldn't they couldn't, they just don't have the cognitive capacity. Most have dementia and uh, could not still say, yes, what I signed uh, two years ago or, or six months ago, I still want to follow through on. So that's gonna change if, it, if these current, um, if the current proposals are actually put into law and put into practice, that could change. And the conscientious objection status could be challenged. I haven't heard anything about that particularly. But um, one of the things when I when I candidated, when I accepted the position as a chaplain, that was one of my two questions. What the job description actually is kind of interesting. It's still written this way: is they were looking for a Christian pastor. Mm -hmm. So that that appealed to me because that's what I would say I am. And so mm -hmm. uh, many care homes and and certainly in our public health system, they don't use the word chaplain. They don't use the word anything to do with church or spiritual, like Christian spirituality. Um, so they were looking, and then the second was I asked the question about made. Where are we at? This is 20, 2017, so four years ago. Things have changed, and they're changing constantly. So it's going to be harder and harder for Christian care homes to probably 
uh, still stand by their standards of you know, this being something that uh, we wouldn't uh, affirm as when you talk about dignity in, in dying, as far as, you know, you said earlier, Craig, this is, and we live in such a um, individualistic, humanistic culture where we say, well, this is my right to say it's my time to die. And of course, as Christians, we would fundamentally disagree with that. Mm. Um, and it also, it's an interesting thing. I haven't had anybody talk to me about this, or we haven't talked that much about it, but the whole theory of palliative care is, is support and comfort in the dying process. Well, if medical assistance in dying becomes the, the standard, you won't even need palliative care mm. because the, the suffering is going to be ended by the, by the procedure. So, yeah, it, I don't know. There's more we could talk about, but maybe did you have any specific uh, questions or areas you wanted to go into? Do you see a day where that conscientious objector status would be taken away from Tabor and other like institutions? You know, I, I wouldn't say that it's not possible. I, I don't see it right on the right on the um, future in the future, but um, yeah, it's changing fast. I would have said even four or five years ago, no, I don't think they will challenge that. Um, it could be something where you know, in terms of uh, the um, individual charter of human rights, the, the, you can you can argue it both ways, right? So you could say, well, yes, but it's our right, it's our freedom as a it's a faith community as believers that uh, it, um, life is sacred. Life is not ours to decide when our time is over. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be, you'd be violating our human rights in that regard. So, yeah, it's, I think it's also depends on how, uh, actually a good person to ask, that would be Vic Martins, because I think mm -hmm. he's done lots of work in this area, but uh, it, how your charter and how your, um, your own um, policies are set, I would imagine how you uh, could, could counter that. But um mm -hmm. I don't see it happening in the immediate future, but uh, I, it'll be a continual pressure point for faith-based groups. Yeah. What kind of uh, pastoral advice would you give someone who would hold to that same position, the same position as Tabor, uh, when it comes to medical assistance in dying, but has a loved one who is considering that practice for themselves? Uh, what would you advise them to say? How would you advise them to approach that conversation? Mm -hmm. And it is it is difficult. It has to be approached very, very respectfully and very um, sensitively. Um, and and really, it is it is astounding to me. And I just heard this the other day that the BCMB conference has had that with their podcast, their pastor to pastor. They had this discussion just a few days ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gloria, uh, who really is yeah very much informed more than I am on this whole thing, but she. Um, she said that the recent statistic among evangelical Christians, I'm not sure if this is just in Canada or in North America, 75% would agree with assisted dying, okay. yeah. medical assistance. So, so amongst our, amongst our church members and that, I don't know whether that was, I, I'd be interested to sort of see what the whole study was, whether it was evangelical churches or Christian churches generally across the 75% though yeah. would say. So yeah, for sure counseling somebody in that um yeah and and i would probably just want to obviously spend a lot of time with the person and find out what the actual individual situation is where their journey is is it something is it and of course this is what they're discussing is changing now is is death imminent or is it is it going to be um you know there is there no imminent death but just suffering and not just suffering but is it primarily to relieve suffering mm -hmm. is it psychological suffering is it uh 
Is it emotional? Is it physical? Uh, so those kinds of things, I mean, lots of questions, just lots of listening and lots of pastoral care in that area, um, along with, uh, I would say, some teaching uh, as far as, you know, I think that was one of the things that came out of that podcast the other day, too. They just said, if it's, if it is 75% of our churches who would say, yeah, I see no problem with it, it's a dignified way to, to exit the planet then um, then I would say that we need to do some teaching. Mm-hmm. And if the time was right, and if it seemed right for, for me as a pastor in that setting to say, well, you do know why we as Christians wouldn't feel this is a, a, a right step to take or a good step to take. And if they say, yeah, yeah, we understand all that. And we still want to go ahead with it um, at that point. And it, it, they even, uh, you know, people have talked and, and as a pastor, uh, would you, should you stand and be there or, be there with the family when the procedure is being um, offered and the process is, is occurring. Mm. I, I have to work that one through. I'm not mm. sure about that for myself personally yet, but uh, mm-hmm. I think certainly in terms of, of, of walking and journeying with them, helping them understand um, all of the implications and all of the significance of the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I've said to people and I'll say it to you too. I mean, if I wasn't a Christian, I probably would. If I was facing serious long-term suffering, uh, if I didn't believe that my life was in God's hands, my timing is in God's hands, I probably might consider it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, it's complex to be sure. And uh, I, I think the um, the idea of presence and listening and caring, that that, that has to continue. Uh, no matter where people are at, uh, that that's how we show love. But boy, yeah, complicated and challenging to be sure. Yeah, and and you know, with that teaching component, it doesn't mean you're just sitting there kind of almost scolding the person. But yeah. there's lots of resources, helpful things you can bring in to the conversation and say, you know, have you read some of these things? Have you thought about some of these things? Podcasts. There's lots of really good, thoughtful uh, ways for people to. Um, to explore, uh, they might have some vague feeling that I don't think this is right, but I don't quite know why, you know, mm. and so that's, uh, but I would challenge, you know, like Ross Road and other churches who might be listening to that, that this is something we should be, should be talking about and teaching yeah. and uh, saying, well, well, why would we believe it's wrong? You mm-hmm. know, what's wrong about it? So, because yeah. I think we live in a culture where probably a lot of people wouldn't, Christ, a lot of Christians, obviously, 75% would say they don't think it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's shift gears here one more time and uh, let's talk about aging a little bit. Uh, we've talked about uh, death and all of us, of course, will die. That's the ultimate statistic. One out of one people die. And uh, so it's something that all of us ought to give some thought to no matter how old we are, because uh, that's a process that we, all of us will go through. And of course, none of us know when it will come or how long or protracted or short and quick it might be. But um, because you've worked with an aging population and uh, you've accompanied people towards death, is, is there anything that stands out a, a, as something that sets apart those who age well and those who don't? Yeah, I would say there are some some things that I've noticed, some character traits and some ways of handling life that, uh, that I've noticed in people's lives. Um, and this is any age really, but especially as you've asked about the end of life, but openness to change. Uh, you know, we're all resistant to change, right? In different ways to different extent. It doesn't, yeah. I see that, I see that, I see that wave yeah. there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not you know. <laughs> yeah, like 
and so yeah perfect example it can be a young person can be an older person sometimes children are the most resistant to change they love to have their routines right uh, but people if at the end of their life you know especially can be open to to change and i've seen some people just beautifully like i think to myself i don't think i would have been that gracious in that mm. response right and so very gracious very thank you so much for your help and you know like very appreciative um so that openness to change openness to sort of seeing it as a, a bit of an adventure even though there's fear and there's unknown involved in that in the process uh, wherever they're at um i've seen beautiful examples of a sense of humor and I think that's something that if a person has that, and most people do somewhere in there to cultivate that sense of humor, I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, the deathbed now, but just as they are in the care home, um, just finding, finding points. Uh, that's why we have recreation to find places in their life that can make them still uh, have a good laugh and, and enjoy, enjoy it as much as they can. Um, a sense of curiosity. I, I've seen that too. And that's an interesting thing in a person who's dying well as uh, Asking like, well, what about this procedure? Why are you doing that? And and how does that work? If they're able to cognitively, but I've seen, yeah, some neat uh, conversations I've had with some people who are co more cognitively able, and they are, yeah, they ask questions that I think to myself, oh, that was a very profound question, and uh, so I have, uh, I would say that sort of that curiosity. Um, and I've seen some people as they're, you know, in these, in this sort of the last months and, and maybe years, but certainly last months of their life uh, is um, an openness to others. Like they actually generally care about other people around them, whether it's somebody who's their care aide or somebody who's cleaning their room or, or you know, me as a chaplain, like, how are you doing? How's your family, you know, showing and genuinely. So I think, you know, aging well, I mean, that's like, every stage of our life, we should be cultivating those kinds of traits and those kind of attitudes. But um, yeah, those are a few things that came to mind, come to mind when you say about dying well, aging well. Uh, yeah. Mm. And, and like you say, it's coming to all of us. <laughs> so yeah. coming soon to a life near you. Okay, and so, yeah. uh, so you want to make sure that, yeah, you're thinking of these things. I think that's one of the things in our culture, we don't think about death I think we're getting better at it, but it's still sort of one of the final taboos mm -hmm. to talk about. Mm -hmm. Used to mm -hmm. be money, used to be sex, used to be other things. Now it's uh, it's still death to a certain extent. That's that's a real, yeah. And it, you have to be careful how you do it, of course. But uh, yeah. yeah. So this next question is coming from a certified young person, um, still <laughs> 26 years old. So you know. <laughs> Getting close That's to 30. But when, yeah. when, do you, when do you have to give up the young person card, Holly? When oh, does that that's, that's a good question. It's a long, <laughs> yeah. it's a long ways away. <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's, that's great holly that. well i have to tell you before you ask your question like see i'm mm. 64 gonna be 65 in a couple of months and so you work with people who are 80 and 90 and you're always a young person that's right that's there right <laughs> yeah that's why i love the job that's yeah I love, I love work you're, you're a youth pastor is what you that's are right. I am youth. that's right <laughs> yeah it's so funny how it changes just depending on the audience you're in like when i come to the church and i work with our staff i'm the youngest person but then when i'm the youth pastor they make fun of me for being old so <laughs> it's like it just depends on yeah. where you're at but find, anyway. your, find your crowd exactly yeah. yeah so the question is what should young people know about aging and or what will help them to go through aging well yeah you know and, and after you know joking about it for a bit i mean it, it is aging and people especially like uh towards the end it's kind of scary for a young person and uh 
it's different. It's uh, people look different. They can't do as much. And, and especially depending on the age of the person, but for children, sometimes it can be scary. Young people uh, kind of have maybe a sense of dread, but um, I guess that, you know, your, your comment earlier, like, well, I'll be there one day. And so what kind of person do we want to be now? And what kind of person do we want to be then? So some of those traits that I talked about earlier, openness to change, curiosity, sense of humor. I mean, those are things that young people, you know, they, they have them or don't have them to different varying degrees, but um, those are things that uh, will help you in that, in that kind of approaching your own age and also people that are around you that are older. Um, I would say if I, you know, and I say this to young people, um, get to know somebody. If you don't have somebody in your family or a close friend, close person that you know, get to know somebody who's older and um, just spend time with them, have fun with them, play games and do stuff with them. Uh, it's harder for the young person to take the initiative in this. So when I'm talking to older people, I say, you know, you, you just ask that young person. And the worst case is the you know, one of them two can say no, <laughs> you know, I'm not feeling up to it or whatever. But yeah, I encourage young people to, to get to know a lot of people do know a grandparent or some other older person or somebody in the church. Uh, that's a great uh, once we're all back together again, uh, to sort of find somebody that you think I could just spend uh, time with that person. I know when I was pastor at Bakerview, I worked with uh, our youth pastor always to kind of say, how can we get these groups together and whether it's a games night or I'm sure you do that kind of stuff too. Um, and the other thing, you know, find a senior that could be a prayer partner with you. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a grandma, grandpa, that's praying for you, find a, find a, um, a Christian older person uh, that could be when you're young, it could be somebody in their fifties, but you know, maybe somebody sixties or seventies or, or even eighties mm -hmm. um, just to, uh, to pray with you and pray for you and, and you pray for them. So mm -hmm. those are just some thoughts. Yeah, mm, that's, yeah great. that's great. And and having conversations uh, about aging and death, I think, like you say, Ray, if we can break through the taboo and actually talk about it, it's um, it it uh, becomes something that's more accessible, something that we we can actually dialogue about together. Um, one, last one thing, question. can, can yeah, I just ahead. ask one more thing to that? Yeah. And and one thing we haven't talked a lot about. I've mentioned it several times, but is uh, is various forms of dementia you know the mm -hmm. most common one being alzheimer's but there's there there are over 150 uh, diagnosed kinds of dementia wow. um and that is one thing that's challenging for sure for a young person for anybody right as you journey with somebody who is changing they're, they're not just physically declining they are a different person it seems um so finding those connecting points and a lot of times especially for christians older christians uh, it's a song it's a hymn that they knew, you know, Jesus loves me or something like that. So, so finding ways of connecting with them still on their journey. Uh, the other thing I always say to people is enter into their reality. So like if they say something uh, and you say, say uh, that wasn't how it happened, that wasn't the, two, you know, arguing with somebody with dementia is not a, not a kind of a helpful thing. So you mm. just kind of, oh yeah, I think it was, you know, and mm. finding ways with a person um it's um as people live longer dementia is becoming more a part of our general conversation and awareness too so yeah that's just wanted helpful. to add that yeah, yeah that's very helpful thank you uh, is there any way in which uh, we as in ross road or people within the church uh, could be uh, helping Tabor these days ray or supporting Tabor? 
Well, I, I think for sure, again, I'd affirm at Ross Road uh, as uh, you've been really involved as a church and uh, um, the, the, the choir, the uh, board members, we talked about that at the opening. But um, I would say, and again, this is maybe in the conversation generally about talking about aging, but uh, the sense of valuing uh, valuing the ministry we do, valuing the, the work we do. I think that within this last year, the way the media has really zeroed in on on um, healthcare and aging and uh, long-term care. Uh, I think it's going to change in our culture. And I, I've been praying and hoping and sort of plotting for ways that it could be much more healthy. Mm. Um, so I would say, you know, for Ross Road to maybe be part of that, if people in your church have some uh, gifts and skills in the area of uh, uh, of this, you know, particular area of long-term care or of caring for seniors, to to speak out, to uh, make sure that they're aware of the issues. Uh, that's a good way for Christians to be involved, and and then and doing so, you're really showing value, the value of our older adults, um, many in your own church too, as well. Yeah. Sure, for sure, visiting visiting is probably the biggest thing. And once we're able to visit again, uh, a lot of these folks um, they get regular visits, some get none. And so that's something that as a chaplain, I really helped to facilitate that. So once things open up again, we'll run it. We'll be knocking on your door mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and saying, you know, would you come and visit these three people maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks, whatever visitation. Mm -hmm. And that can be any age. We have young people, children, some kids that do really well at visiting. Mm -hmm. um, and then other areas of volunteering too. Uh, uh, there's so many different areas working in the garden. Once we have our therapeutic garden open again, if you love gardening, come and work and plant some bedding plants with our, our seniors and uh, uh, helping in different areas. Some of this we have to be careful of because we, we are union, some of our maintenance uh, I'd love to get a gardens grounds crew to come in, you know, a couple of times a year and just do a major blitz. But um, we have to be really careful about that because uh, unions, uh, you know, have opinions mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. And so, uh, so there are those, but volunteering, there's lots of areas to volunteer. And um, so, yeah, for Ross Road, that would be, and then prayer for sure. And mm -hmm. I know that um, most of our churches and I'm sure Ross Road's the same has um we used to take, if we had people that were in long-term care or in the hospital, we would sort of divide them. We had so many that we couldn't put them all on the bulletin mm -hmm. in one week. I'm talking about when I was at Bakerview. Yeah. So uh, we divided them up into, because we had about 70 people that were in, uh, we would say, uh, shut in. Mm -hmm. So we prayed for them on a regular basis. And so that's, and pray for our staff and pray for, pray for our, the chair of our board too, I think. I think, mm, he, I think you yeah. know the chair of our board. So <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> it's a tough job. He yeah. has a he has a big job. We really appreciate Vic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and Abe, Abe as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jake, sorry, Jake. Jake. Yeah. I know. I know Jake's brother. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, we've had Vic on the podcast as well, uh, before, but, uh, before all this COVID stuff happened, uh, uh, sometime last year, but, um, Ray, it's been so good to have you on and to chat. And uh, just on behalf of our church, we want to say thank you and well done. Uh, you've served through a, a very challenging season and you've provided a lot of uh, support and care and, and Christ-like love to people. And, and we so appreciate you doing that and also taking the time to talk with us today. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, thanks. thank you. Thanks, Craig and Holly. It's been nice to meet you, Holly, and uh, and to uh, reconnect, Craig, and uh, yeah. blessings to you and to Ross Road as you carry on through this time. And we hope light at the end of the tunnel and uh, and changes will come again and they will come again. So, uh, yeah, yeah, blessings to you.
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Ray. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, We will be back with another episode before too long. Ross Road Connect podcast is produced by Ross Road Community Church in Abbotsford, B.C. For more information about our church community and links to more podcasts and sermons, visit rossroadcc.ca.